Hi, Jared here. Our recording, our audio from last week did not get recorded, so I'm going to re-teach through Galatians 5:16 through 26 this morning. Uh, forgive my voice. Uh, I've got a bit of something and am congested, uh, but we will rally through this together. So uh, this teaching is on the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. Last week, this is a two-part sermon series. The title of this sermon, as well as last week, was The Fruit of the Spirit is Not Your To-Do List. So this is the second part of that. The very first part of that, we covered the works of the flesh and how Paul defined the works of the flesh. And we also ended on this note remembering that in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel, 600 years before Jesus Christ, that God had promised his people to get, to pour out his spirit on all flesh and to give his people a, a new heart, new hearts. Hearts of flesh is how he described it, not hearts that are hard and stone-like. So this week we are going to uh, get into what it, what it looks like to walk according to the spirit in a primary way that we do walk by the spirit. So I want to read the text. We'll dive right in. Paul says in Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Why? They're opposed to each other. They keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh, they're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's Paul's etc. The list is much longer. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do or make a practice of such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. Notice the word but. But. There's a new option. There's a new way. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, Paul says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's word. Father, open our eyes. Holy Spirit, teach us. Produce this fruit in our lives. Jesus, continue to be the king and the pinnacle of our worship, we thank you for in this Christmas season coming to us, taking on human form, not counting equality with the Father or the Spirit, something to be grasped, but humbling yourself and becoming human in every way. Ultimately going to the cross, despising its shame and having your glory become visible for all humanity to see as you rose from the grave, beating death in finality. Lord Jesus, thank you that you promise that we too, as we trust in you, hope in you, and follow you, will also beat death, not by our power, but by yours, by the Spirit living within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So briefly, when I started, I gave a summary of last week. We covered the works of the flesh. 
Uh, we covered God's promise and prophecy 600 years before Christ to give us hearts made of flesh, not of stone, to pour out his spirit on all people. What Paul is doing in Galatians right here is he's, he's setting up the need for followers of Christ, for disciples, to prioritize the Holy Spirit over the work of our flesh. And that's what I called you to last week as well, is to make a decision. Are you going to follow yourself as the leader and ruler of your life, or are you going to make a decision with your will to follow the Holy Spirit and to walk in step with him so that, not just so that, but a product of that would be that the fruit coming out of your life, the legacy of your life would be the fruit of the Spirit. The context here, if you're just jumping in with us in Galatians, is that these Galatian churches, they're under the sway of false teachers. And these false teachers have come in teaching an equation that is false in the sight of God. And not only false, but is also offensive in the sight of God. And the equation goes like this. Jesus plus your performance for him equals your acceptability before God. Your acceptability quotient is based on your performance and who you say you follow. Is that Jesus or not? And are you tipping the scales of good works versus bad deeds in such a way that when those two things meet and come together, God will find you acceptable? That is a horrendous way to live, and it's too much weight for many of us to bear. And that's why people have jettisoned uh, works-based religions consistently over the course of history. Through his handwritten letter here to these Galatian churches, and that's what it is. It's a handwritten letter as though from a father to his children because he loves and he longs for these Galatians like his own children. He said in chapter 4, he's in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in them, starting in their hearts, till Christ-likeness begins to sprout in their hearts and eventually come out of their attitudes, actions, emotions, thoughts, etc., Right. So Paul is writing this handwritten letter to these Galatian Christians and he's teaching them the way to real freedom and the way to real flourishing and how they relate to God, how they see God relating to them through Christ and the Holy Spirit and ultimately the Father's heart towards them. He understands that their understanding of God's grace for them will impact how they live in all of life. And so Paul teaches that God accepts them on the basis of their faith in Christ and not on the basis of their works or their deeds or their performance for God. He said it time and time again in Galatians, no one can or will be justified by playing by the rules. No one can or will be justified by, quote, works of the law. He'll say that in 2.16. He'll say that again in 5.4. And he said it in other places in Galatians as well. And so last week, we defined the various works of the flesh that Paul lists in verses 19 through 21. We just went in a granular way through these various things that he named, like sexual immorality, idolatry, fits of anger, divisions, envy, etc. And we needed to bring definition to what the flesh is and how the New Testament, how the New Testament means flesh whenever it speaks of the quote flesh as it refers to our human nature. It's not our meat. It's, it's not skin. What the Bible is teaching in the New Testament specifically about our flesh, it's this. The, it's the old ordinary human nature that doesn't relish the things of God but instead prefers to get, in, to get satisfaction from independence from God. Our satisfaction comes outside of God. That's a fleshly nature. Our satisfaction comes from power over others or exerting power over others, from gaining prestige for ourselves and from 
satisfaction through the consumption of worldly pleasures. That's what the New Testament means when it speaks of flesh. And then you'll notice in verse 21, Paul will say, those who practice the works of the flesh, those who do such things, who make a practice of them, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who don't show the credentials of the family, they don't actually have inheritance as family. Imposters. I watched an absurd Christmas movie with my daughters. I've actually watched a couple of them this last week. And this one that I was watching, so many of them, they, they end with these warm fuzzies. And they probably don't end as though they would and if these circumstances were real and in the real world. But maybe that's one of the reasons that we love Christmas movies is because they hearken back to what we were created for. Harmony and for good endings, which God is ultimately promising us through the life of Jesus Christ. Anyways, this movie, these uh, two teenage girls, they're on a plane to visit their long uh, or their distant families who have never met them and who don't know what they actually look like. And so these girls are kind of fearful about all of that and they're sitting next to each other on the plane and they hatch a plan to impersonate one another. So one girl goes with the other girl's family and vice versa and these girls, <clears throat> they uh, they eventually got discovered, but the reality is that neither of these girls could claim that they were a part of the family that they were pretending to be a part of, even though they played that part. Paul infers here in Galatians that you can play the part of being a Christian, but if you're not controlled by the Holy Spirit, eventually the works of your life will expose you, just like these girls' stories were exposed. The temptation for us as Christians, to impersonate godliness rather than walking by the Spirit, it's strong because our flesh still exhibits strength. Our flesh has not been fully put to death, though we're in the process by the Spirit of putting our flesh to death. And so what we recognize as followers of Jesus is that there is clash in our souls. Followers of Jesus have competing desires within that are very, very real and very, very strong. And not yet followers of Jesus have competing desires within as well because they're created in the image of God. And so the goodness of God still lingers in the human soul. Paul argues in verse 16 that those who walk by the Spirit of God will have a totally different aroma to their lives or flavor to their lives than those who live in independence from God. So Paul, in verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Notice what Paul doesn't say here. He doesn't say, focus your attention on producing the fruit of the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Focus on being more loving. Focus on being more peaceful. Focus on being more patient, kind, good, whatever it is. He says, he gives a singular instruction in several ways saying, walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. The fruitfulness, the evidence of a Spirit-led life, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it comes from a spirit-dependent life, a life in step with the Holy Spirit. It is not our to-do list. They are not more qualities that we need to white-knuckle our way into until they finally eke out of our lives. One thing that's discouraging about to-do lists, particularly for me on the majority of my days, is that I've got more left on my list oftentimes than I have crossed off my list. And Paul, I think, is arguing here for one thing to govern all else on our to-do list. What is it? It's to walk 
by the Holy Spirit to live in proximity and in the presence and in awareness of how the Holy Spirit is guiding and leading us. This is to be our priority. There's no such thing as priorities. Priority is a singular word. We've made it plural in the 1900s, but its essence, it's a singular word. Word. It means first things or prior things. So walking by the Spirit as a means to live out the Christian life, a life of worship, it's to be our the thought in our waking that leads to walking by the Spirit, governing our agenda in the course of our living. And walking by the Spirit is the hope that we close our eyes to as we seek rest for another go-around tomorrow. Walking by the Spirit, walking in the presence of God, living continually with an awareness of God's influence in our life, authority over our life, goodness planned for us, that's what gives true color and joy and texture and flavor and a pleasing aroma to everything in our lives. Why? Because God is the giver of all color and joy in life. I'm using those as metaphors for the good things that we love in life. All good gifts that any human being has ever experienced or ever will experience is given by God. Acts chapter 17. For in him, in God, we live and we move and we exist. James, the brother of Jesus, says in his letter, he says, all good gifts come to us from the Father of lights or the Father who has created the galaxies and the stars and planets. All good things come from God, for from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. So all the good we ever experience is from God. So living in awareness and nearness to God every day, day by day, leads to our ultimate satisfaction. When we're satisfied by and in God, he's glorified in and through us. So how do we walk with God the Holy Spirit? Let's go back to what Jesus taught his disciples about the Holy Spirit's primary work in their lives. Look at what he said in John 16, 13 through 15. I'll quote it here. Jesus teaching his disciples, he said, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, that he will speak. And he'll declare to you the things that are to come. That means that he's going to declare to the apostles the future. The things that are to come. He also, Jesus also said this about the Spirit in, in verses 14 and 15. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, Jesus said. For he, the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, meaning Jesus and the Father are one. Therefore, Jesus said, he will take what belongs to Jesus and the Holy Spirit will declare it to you. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> what that means is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one, are living harmoniously. Their will is the same. And the work of the Holy Spirit will be to take what Jesus has said and done and bring it before his people. The Spirit's work in the disciples' life, it's what? It's to glorify the Son. It's to make much of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit leads Christians to do, is to lean on Jesus Christ, to worship Jesus Christ, to trust Jesus Christ, to look to Jesus Christ, to make much of Jesus Christ. The Spirit speaks to us by bringing Jesus' words to our minds. He motivates us to read, to learn, to meditate on the Scriptures. 
He convicts us of our sin. He reminds us of the good news that a Savior has been born and has come to redeem all who look upon him in trust. The Holy Spirit's the active presence of God. Listen here. Possessing us. Living within us. Moving us from the inside. Producing fruit in us from the inside. And the Holy Spirit teaches us to abide in the vine. <clears throat> and the vine is Jesus. In John 15, just one chapter earlier from the quote that I just read to you in John 16, Jesus would teach the disciples this. He'd say, abide, that means live in, root yourself in, place a firm stance in me. Abide in me and I in you as the branch, which we are described as the branches coming out from the trunk or the vine, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Jesus said, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you disciples unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. She it is that will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing of eternal consequence or value. So the Holy Spirit causes, and not only causes, but he also compels us to abide in Jesus Christ. And here's good news to all of this too. It's fun, I think, that we have responsibility in this. See, we're led by the Spirit and we walk by the Spirit. The verbs that Paul uses, being led by and walking by the Holy Spirit, they're both in the perfect present tense. That means there is active ongoing partnership here. We will continue to live led and continue to walk by the Spirit forever. John Stott says, there's a clear distinction between being led by the Spirit, which is passive, and walking by the Spirit, which is active. So Stott says, Paul is showing us that it's the Holy Spirit who does the leading, but it's we. <clears throat> who do the walking. The Holy Spirit leads and guides, but it's we who put one foot in front of the other and walk it out, eke it out, right? I was with my family at Costco recently uh, in the Christmas season, which is challenging and dangerous at the same time. There are some seriously aggressive middle-aged cart drivers, both sides of the aisle, women and men. Just this last week, we were there on Friday and this guy, we were kind of in line, just patiently working ourselves behind the crowd, all mooing like cattle apparently. And this guy, he just rolls out of an aisle and just like noses his car or tries to right in front of us. And I just had to look over at him and say, bro, like chill, please. And uh, I think he was a bit startled at that. Um, but it it maybe so caught him off guard that he didn't realize what he was doing, but he, um, <laughs> I think he took it pretty well. So that's good. I can find the works of the flesh, <laughs> especially like strife and division and all of that, like working itself out in the human heart in Costco. I see it in my heart, that's for sure. Anyways, my point, being at Costco recently, uh, in order for my children who don't want to ride in the cart, but they want to walk alongside of us in this busy Costco season, in these busy kind of tight Costco aisles, in order to stay alive, uh, as we navigate Costco, I need to give my children instructions on how to navigate 
the store. And so my daughters needed to go to the bathroom. We were back by the cooler section, way in the back of the store, needed to go up to the front of the store to the restrooms. And I had the three girls who all wanted to use the bathroom. So I needed to walk in front of them, but attach myself to them. And so I held out one hand to Elise, who then held Chandler's hand, who then held Jenny's hand. And I helped them to navigate the store. So what was I doing? I was leading them as they were walking with me. And so it is for those of us who walk and live by the Spirit. He leads, we listen, as we receive his instruction day by day, moment by moment, we walk. We are led by him and live by the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. And as we do this thing, fruit comes up out of our lives. And there's no such thing as too much of it, according to the Apostle Paul. There's no such thing as too much love, too much joy, too much patience. Have you ever met a person who is too patient? We might tell people to assert themselves, but surely a patient person offends no one. There's no law needed against the fruit of the Spirit. It does not need to be limited. For all those who have the Holy Spirit, for all those who are Christians, the fruit, all of it, fruit here is singular, all of this fruit will grow and it won't grow lopsided either. Like you'll have five attributes, five fruit, but you'll be missing four of them. You're not gonna have fruit on one side of the tree, but no fruit on the other side of the tree. My point is, is we don't get one part growing without all of the other parts growing. Timothy Keller does some helpful work uh, in his book, Galatians for You, just on helping us to discern the difference between the fruit of the Spirit, spiritual fruitfulness caused by the Holy Spirit, versus personality traits given to us genetically at birth. He says this, when we look at the list of fruits, we notice that we're naturally stronger in some of them than others. But our strengths, apart from the Holy Spirit, are due to natural temperament. We have a trait through brain chemistry and or early training, or we have a trait of natural self-interest, like we learned a trait in order to handle some issue or a condition that we needed to meet. For example, some people are temperamentally gentle and they're diplomatic, so they have this seeming gentleness. Notice that's a fruit of the Spirit. But the sign that this is not due to the work of the Holy Spirit is that such people are usually not bold or courageous, so they're not also faithful. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because of what Paul says about the unity of the fruit, this means that this sort of gentleness is not real spiritual humility, but just temperamental sweetness. John says, if anyone else says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. Notice that John does not say, if a man loves God, but doesn't love his brother, he's unbalanced. No, he says he's a liar. True love to God, love, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, is always accompanied by love to others. Kindness, that's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. If they're not both there, neither are there at all. Keller goes on and he says, there are many, many cases of this. Some folks seem happy and bubbly, they have joy, and are good at meeting new people, but are very unreliable and cannot keep friends. They're not faithful. This is not real joy, but just being an extrovert by nature. Some people seem very unflappable and unbothered, so they're peaceful, but they're not kind or gentle. <clears throat> that is not real peace, but indifference, perhaps even cynicism. It enables you to get through the difficulties of life without always being hurt, but it desensitizes you and makes you much less approachable. Timothy Keller has done meaningful work 
on the fruit of the Spirit and the various ways that we can think about the fruit of the Spirit. And so I'll be working from his perspective at length. It's important to know this. We don't only produce the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit by knowing the Greek words or by knowing how to define them. We rarely grow based on knowledge alone. We need knowledge. I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying that knowledge is often insufficient because we know the right thing to do oftentimes, and yet the desire in us compels us to do the thing we know we're not supposed to do. So that is proof to me that knowledge enough is not alone, or uh, knowledge alone rather is not enough. We need uh, to understand that desires are at play as well. So as I define the fruit of the Holy Spirit, understand that knowledge isn't enough, but it is helpful and it is necessary. Here's how we grow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We spend time with him. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not an electrical force. He is the third person of the Trinity, unique in personality and effect. Authoritative God. We spend time with the Holy Spirit through who through his through uh, who through his presence he changes our desires. He transforms us. That is to say, he changes our form. He changes the flavor, the aroma of our life as he changes the desires within us, which then make us unrecognizable to our old selves. So the fruits of the Spirit here, or the fruit, rather, of the Spirit. We've got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. <clears throat> Keller defines love, comes from the Greek word agape. This means to serve a person for their good, for their intrinsic value, not for what they bring you. So loving another person is not about loving yourself by loving them. It's actually about loving them because of their good and intrinsic value. And there's an opposite to this love. It's fear. It's self-protection. It's abuse in any form. And there's also a counterfeit uh, to this love that is sneaky. So I'm going to mention the definition of the fruit of the Spirit. They're opposite so that we can kind of get our handles around what is in opposition to them as well as their counterfeits, the sneaky ways that we might misunderstand what it really is. The counterfeit to love as a fruit of the Spirit is selfish affection where you're attracted to someone and you treat them well because of how they make you feel about yourself which actually, in reality, amounts to usury. Then you have joy. This comes from the Greek word kara, which is where we get charisma. This joy, notice it's Godward in orientation. It's to delight in God for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. The fruit of the Spirit joy is not just being generally happy and joyful with other people. It's it's delighting in God for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. Is that present in your life? Its opposite is hopelessness and despair. Its counterfeit is a kind of elation that's based on experiencing blessings or, or circumstances rather than the blesser. So the fruit of the Spirit joy is Godward in its orientation. Additionally, peace. This comes from the Greek, uh, the Greek Irene. Uh, peace is confidence, also um, Godward in orientation. Confidence and rest in the wisdom and control of God rather than in your own wisdom and control. It also has an opposite. 
anxiety and worry. This is probably very relevant for many of us. It's counterfeit to peace. It's indifference, apathy, not caring about something. That's not actually uh, to not care about something. Oh, I have peace. I don't really care. That's not actually fruit of the spirit peace. Fruit of the spirit peace is confidence and rest and the wisdom and control of God. He's got this and I trust him. That's fruit of the spirit peace. Is that present in your life? Patience, macrothumia is the Greek word here. This patience is the ability to face trouble without blowing up or hitting out, without freaking out. <laughs> its opposite is resentment toward God and others. You're impatient because you're not getting what you believe you deserve. When in reality, the fact that we aren't getting what we deserve from God is a great grace upon us. It's counterfeit. The counterfeit to patience is a cynicism, a kind of cynicism and lack of care. Oh, this is just too small to think about. Kindness, <clears throat> Christodes. This is the ability to serve others practically in a way which makes me vulnerable. And it comes from having a deep inner security born of God. Kindness also has an opposite, which is envy, which leaves you and I unable to rejoice in another person's joy or success. Kindness also has a counterfeit. The counterfeit is manipulative good deeds where we do good for other people so that we can congratulate ourselves and feel that we are good enough either for others or also for God. The fruit of the spirit, goodness, could also be translated integrity. Agathosune is the Greek word here. This goodness means being the same person in every situation rather than being a phony or a hypocrite, two-faced or two-sided. That's its opposite. It's counterfeit. The counterfeit to goodness or integrity is not the same as always being truthful, but not always loving. I'll say that again. Not the same as always being truthful, but not always loving. You may be truthful, but if we feel like a jerk in the way, or you, we, if you are a jerk in the way that you make us feel about the truth that you bring, that doesn't actually accord with goodness as a fruit of the Spirit, where you get things off your chest in order to make you feel or look better, but destroy other people in the process. That's not goodness born of the Holy Spirit. And then there's also faithfulness. This could also be translated loyalty or courage. The Greek word here is pistis. This means being utterly reliable and true to your word, being a dependable person. That's faithfulness according to the Holy Spirit. Its opposite is to be an opportunist, to be friendly only in good times. It also has a counterfeit, which is to be loving but not truthful, so that you're rarely willing to confront or challenge. To be faithful is to bring hard news to bear, to be there when it costs you, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Two more to go. Gentleness. This could also be translated humility or self-forgetfulness. comes from the Greek word proudus. Its opposite is to be superior or self-absorbed. Always looking down your nose at other people. Always proving your point. Always arguing your point. Never able to see another person's point. Its, counterfeit, its counterfeit is to recognize that humility is not the same as inferiority. I think sometimes we redefine humility to mean, oh, you know, I'm just not good enough. 
That's not actually humility. That's just another form of pride. You're not as good as you think you need to be. But rather, true humility is self-forgetfulness. It's thinking of yourself less, not thinking less of yourself. That's true humility, gentleness, self-forgetfulness as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then last, there's self-control. Self-control, the Greek here is egratea. <clears throat> this is the ability to pursue the important over the urgent rather than to be impulsive or uncontrolled. Its opposite is to be impulsive or uncontrolled, always giving yourself to the next thing, not having the ability to control yourself. And so those who walk by the Spirit, those who live by the Spirit, live restrained lives. <clears throat> the counterfeit to self-control, um, it's somewhat surprising, but it's a willpower which is based on pride, the need to feel in control. Self-control is to walk in step with the Holy Spirit and say no to what is, say yes rather to what is important and no over what might be just urgent but not important. So Paul calls us to walk by the Spirit, not give in to the desires of the flesh. And then he shows us by contrast in this passage that we're in in Galatians 5, uh, a flesh-led versus a Spirit-led life. So it's wise for us, as I've done in the definitions of the fruit of the Spirit here, to pause and to ask sober questions. Uh, is the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life? Is it evident in your life? Is the character of Christ's likeness being formed in you? Here's a question on the, on the negative end of the scale, which you should ask. Are there any marks here that are non-existent in your life? Anything here that you see that you're just like, <laughs> like fail, like hard fail. Like I didn't even show up to class fail. I didn't even know. <laughs> are people uh, consistently giving you feedback? and yet you're minimizing it or denying it. Or on the positive end, are people consistently giving you feedback that you're growing in these areas? Praise God. Maybe you say, yeah, I see the fruit of the Spirit growing in my life, but I want more. To which I would say, join the club. I take heart, believer. Take heart, disciple. Take heart, friend. Take heart, follower of Jesus. The Spirit of God, if He dwells in you, He is producing His fruit over time. And often know this. It can be painful and a slow process. Hang on. Walk with him. Keep in step with him. And here's another thing to consider. We're only as mature as our weakest fruit. Perhaps it's an overstatement, but I don't think it's an overstatement by much. The level of your weakest fruit is the level of your actual maturity. Let that sober you. Verse 24, Paul says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So this is Paul's way of saying that those who belong to Christ Jesus consider our old ways and desires, we consider them dead to us. You know, the kid in the movie who's like, you're dead to me, you know, to his dad or the snotty girl who says that to a family member. That, though not in a snotty way, that's actually what we're saying to the works of the flesh, the power of Satan in our lives. We're saying, though you exist, though you're present, you're dead to me. I consider you of no value. I consider you of no importance. I consider you of no influence. You are dead to me. And it is the Spirit of God and us who together with him put these deeds to death. 
Romans 8.13, if by the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is the work of sanctification. <clears throat> so here's where I'll close. A fundamental way for us, and this is good news. So if you're hanging on, hang on, because I think this is where so much rubber meets the road meets the road and where there is so much good news to be heard and to be valued and to be um, ingested and to be embraced here. A fundamental way that we will walk by the Spirit is to dwell on our justification. I need to teach you two words and I need to be clear on them. If you're taking notes, write them down, justification and sanctification. So for some of us, this is a refresher, but for all of us, these words shape the way in which we relate to God and view him as relating to us or how he relates to us. Justification and sanctification. Justification is the drum that Paul has been beating over the course of Galatians. It's an act of God. We play no part in our justification. All we do is receive it. Justification is an act of God where he declares us righteous and he sees us righteous in Christ. He literally gives us the perfect standing of Jesus Christ. He credits us Jesus' righteousness all of his work gifted to us. Theologians call this gift righteousness. That's what justification is. It's an act of God that is complete and done by him alone to be received by us with empty hands of faith. And then there's also sanctification, which means literally to make holy. That's what sanctification means. It means to make holy. It's the process of setting something apart as holy or purifying it as holy. It's the process that we live through in partnership with God, whereby he, the Holy Spirit, makes our hearts desire to be holy. Sanctification is the lifelong process of heart transformation, whereby our desires change on the inside. It's the process of becoming holy. And the two words, justification and sanctification, are separated but inseparably linked. And this is where we need to get. This is what we need to know. We need to keep these words and these processes and these realities of our spiritual life in their rightful place. Here's why. Because we confuse them. And what we do is put our work in front of God's work and we take and we make his work contingent on our work, which leads us to live in continual condemnation, a sense of not adding up. This is where works-based righteousness comes from and springs from and it dogs our heads and it dogs our hearts and it dogs us as we live. <clears throat> growth in getting better, growth in sanctification, it comes from going deeper and dwelling on our justification. Do you want to know how to grow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Dwell on your justification. Both sanctification and justification are doctrines of the gospel, and we never leave the gospel all of life. You guys know this. We reflect on the goodness of what God has done for us in Christ continually. We continually reflect on the goodness of God and all that he's done, and that leads to our transformation. And so we say, it's all because of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ applies to every part of our life for our entire life. Here's what I want you to hear, and I want you to hear this loud and clear. The only ones who will get better, that is be sanctified, are those who understand that God's approval of you is not dependent on your getting better. 
God's approval of you, your justification, does not depend on your sanctification. The only ones who will ever get better spiritually are those who understand that God's approval of you does not depend on you getting better. The ones who grow and desire to grow in holiness and godliness are those who understand that God's acceptance is not based on you desiring to be holy or even being holy. He accepts you, this is good news, because he gave you holiness as a gift which you have received through faith in Christ. And as you look to him and thank him and dwell on your justification, godliness will flow. You will live under the grace of God. He has given you faith as a gift. He has given you repentance as a gift. He has given you holiness as a gift. He has given you his righteousness as a gift. And so what happens when we dwell on the good news of this justification? What does it do to our hearts? Here's what it does. We desire to be with our God because we see he's that good. And when we walk and when we live in the presence of our God, we end up growing in godliness in our real lives. The fruit of the Spirit springs up from the soil of our redeemed lives. How do you grow in the Holy Spirit? How do you grow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit? You dwell on your justification. The Holy Spirit is the one, as Jesus said, who will continually make much of him. And so we make much of our justifier and all of the ways in which he is for us, not against us. And we will find gratitude springing up in our hearts and the fruit of the Spirit growing. May start as a bud, but it will bear fruit. Take heart, Christian. May the hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you overflow with love and hope. <clears throat> Remember, the harvest of the Spirit is love. It's joy, it's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit is our source of life. Let us therefore walk by the Spirit. Amen. <clears throat>